Hello and welcome to the Homeless World Cup podcast. I'm Adam Wilson. I'm Mariana Mercado. I'm Paul Highland. Join us as we discuss homelessness, the unifying power of sport, and look at what goes into making the Homeless World Cup tournament possible. Talking about sport beyond just sort of exercise and fitness, but when you're talking about sport in that team sports coming together or sort of competitions coming together, there's something that's very inclusive and although competition might be the heart of it, there's still something about bringing people together, bringing people together in a common goal, bringing people together to you know, achieve something that they couldn't probably or possibly on their own. Welcome to the Homeless World Cup podcast. In this episode, Paul and I speak to Dame Catherine Granger, Chair of UK Sport. Having competed in eight World Rowing Championships, winning six gold medals and five Olympic Games with five medal wins, she's the UK's most decorated female Olympian. Along with her exceptional athletic career, Catherine is a board member of International Inspiration, a charity dedicated to inclusion in sport. And in 2017, Catherine became chair of UK Sport, the organisation responsible for strategic investment to enable the UK's Olympic and Paralympic sports. She was also named Dame Catherine Granger for her services to sport and charity at the 2017 New Year Honours. We first met Catherine last year when she kindly visited us at the 2019 Cardiff Homeless World Cup to watch some matches, support us and to generally just get an idea of what we do. In this episode, we look at how UK sport is dealing with the lockdown, if sport as we know it can return to normality and why it's such a powerful tool for change. Well, Catherine, thank you very much for joining us again, because uh, we tried this before and due to my incompetence, it failed. Um, your gross incompetence, Adam. Gross my, my gross incompetence, sorry. Yeah, I should make that clear. I'm glad um, it's your incompetence rather than thinking it was such an awful interview. We'll just, just scrub it and start again. Well, that's why it's so sad, because it was a brilliant interview and I just felt <laughs> absolutely mortified after. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think with everything going on in the world, I think we should ask, how are you handling the lockdown? Ah, gosh. Well, um, I mean, to be honest, handling it as well as I, as I could hope for. Um, I'm lucky. I've, I've got my own home. I've got a, a small, but a garden I can use my own space. I've got very friendly and supportive neighbours and people around. I get out quite a lot to do the daily sort of walker exercise and get the fresh air. And we've had some amazing weather in the last few weeks. So, you know, I'm lucky touching a lot of wood at the moment that no one I know close to me has had any sort of as it has had COVID or the coronavirus and on certainly not been sort of badly affected by it. So I think that would make things feel very different. Uh, I think we're all adjusting to a new normal. I think the first few weeks of lockdown felt how how are any of us going to cope? We can't, you know, can't really get the shopping, can't really get working from home was very different. Everything was, you know, we weren't going to see anybody. But actually you settle in. I think people are incredibly good at, at adjusting and and sort of, I think we're very resourceful and very resilient as a species generally. So, you know, I think also there's always that perspective of there's a lot of people in this country and around the world that are a lot worse off than I am. So, yeah, I'm doing okay with it all. I think you're right. We have to count our blessings uh, where we are in the world, I think, a little bit. And I, that leads me on to my next second part of this question. You mentioned working from home, but I imagine there are a huge amount of challenges facing UK sport at the moment. Could you give us an idea of what those are like? Yeah, so obviously when sort of lockdown happened towards the end of March, um, as an organisation, we, we moved very quickly to working from home, which was very different. And we'd always sort of argue, I'd always argued that it wouldn't be possible really to do all of our work from home because it's a very much a 
you know, support is a people organization. It's a lot of face-to-face interactions um, at every level of, of high-performance sport. Uh, but actually, from a, a day-to-day thing, everything is done on online, clearly, with either phone calls or virtual meetings. Um, but I think the biggest change was within a, a sort of a few days of the lockdown was the announcement came that the Olympics and Paralympics was going to be postponed um, and wouldn't be happening this summer. So it was absolutely the right decision considering what the the world was facing and and about to face a lot worse. Um, You know, the scale of the problem was just beginning to be realised at that point, at the end of March. Um, And and so much has happened since. It was the obvious decision to make to to change the games. But to change an event, you know, on that scale, uh, within, you know, across, it affects every every sport and every nation that competes at the Olympics and Paralympics. And no one's ever experienced it before. So suddenly we're in this very strange new world where, you know, athletes can't train in the way they're used to. They're they're all isolated. They're all individually at home. All the training centres, all the sports centres have been shut down. Um, the qualification for the Games for next year is also quite unknown. People don't know if they will be able to be held or how the qualification period will happen. Although we've got dates for the Games next year, we don't have the funding in place that, that we know that we can sort of continue all the way through to next summer. So there's a lot of meetings happening. I mean, it's it's... it's Gosh, you wouldn't wish a pandemic on anybody, but it, it means work has sort of, you know, I mean, it's always a busy, busy work time, but it's almost changed gear into, you know, constant problem solving. And I mean, it, it's 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 really, it's an in, it's a fascinating time to be working through because there's it's times we've never seen before. I absolutely agreed. I, I feel everyone um, who is in the working from home train is, it's a sort of a feeling of spinning plates almost, um, because as you say, it's a new environment, it's a new context we're all having to work in and it's seeing if we can, you know, thrive and grow during it as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny how things change so quickly because last time we did this interview, we asked you about the uh, Olympics coming up in Japan and there was a lot of excitement and, you know, now it's not happening anymore. Similar to the Homeless World Cup, we were all very excited about that and uh, sadly it had to be cancelled. But as you said, the right choice. Catherine, we first met in Cardiff last year at the mm-hmm. Homeless World Cup. Um, can you tell us how you first ho- heard about us? Yes, I can. Um, so Mel Young, who is has many different roles, many different hats he wears, but he is the chair of Sports Scotland is how I know him best because he sits on my UK sport board as a representative of Sports Scotland. Um, and he w- he's been instrumental since the very beginning of the Homeless World Cup. And um, he is he's a fabulous guy to spend time with on so many different levels. He's just interesting and interested in so many, so many different things. And uh, one time we were sitting in... Um, Oh, back in the days, we used to go to coffee shops. We were sitting in a coffee shop. <laughs> What's a coffee shop? Uh, I know. I'm, I'm vaguely, it sort of stirs a memory <laughs> somewhere. But it was in the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. And um, and we were waiting to go into actually a meeting in the Scottish Parliament. And while we were waiting, I can't remember how it came up. And he, I think he just mentioned, oh, I've you know, told you about the Homeless World Cup. And I, and I'd sort of vaguely heard, but I didn't know many details. So I asked about it. And Mel, oh, just absolutely came to life. You know, just it just is something he is so passionate about and so proud of, and told me everything about you know the first sort of conversations of could it be possible, up until sort of where where the the whole event has got to now. And and you know he said you must come along, you must try and come. And I I always said I wanted to come along, 
um and when the 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 one mostly the most recent one was in cardiff and you know i did miss the one in mexico and there's you know so many exotic glamorous places that i'd quite like to go and travel to see it um, but cardiff has many positive attributes to it the problem is the day i went to see it, it was torrential rain that was the raining day yeah oh, really and everyone even now talks about oh you were there that day that was the wet day <laughs> It happens, it happens once a year. There's all there's always one rainy day in every well, event. I, you know, I spent most of my life with, with an outdoor sport, so I'm I, I'm not a stranger to bad weather. But it was what was incredible actually with hindsight, although it took days to dry off from that day. Um, having almost seen it, it in objectively, you'd think that'd be the worst day to go. You know, it was torrential rain. It it would keep you know people away. It would dampen in every sense the sort of spirit of the event. Um, and yet you saw in this, you know, dark storm clouds and torrential rain and sort of wind battering the place, um, such still a, a, an amazing spirit of enjoyment and fun and challenge and competition and and support from members of the public who'd come and sat in the stadiums and under umbrellas or under sort of those ponchos you get. And there was just a sort of feeling of, you know, even in the worst possible British weather day, there was still this, you could see the celebration of that event. You could see how positive it was and how uplifting it was and how just how resilient it is as a, as a concept and how brilliant the, the athletes were, especially. And I, I remember sort of chatting to you before about um, going into the, there's a, there was a huge sort of, you know, massive tent, if I want yeah. a better word, um, where all the athletes, you know, could could wait in between playing the, the, the football matches and they could get food there and rest there and all the rest and and I'm used to that that's a very similar environment to Olympic village or Olympic venue between moments of competition there's always huge um sort of temporary places put up that athletes take shelter in but usually in Olympic competition there it is a there's often an ominous sort of silence and you know people sitting in corners with headphones on and rocking backwards and forwards looking very stressed and looking the tension is very palpable and I walked into the same same sort of setup in the in Cardiff at the Homeless World Cup. And there was first of all the music hit you, the yeah. music being played. And they wired yeah. the sound system. Um and each each sort of different nation was taking um ownership of if playing a few songs from you know from their country or from their history or from their tradition, and then dancing in, in the most amazing style and encouraging everyone else to join in. So there's this unbelievable unity of like global global dancing and song coming together in between sport and i just thought this this is how things should be done this is very special absolutely it was amazing because you could see uh there was as you said loads of teams crowded around an ipod everyone sort of choosing their own songs but you could see teams that couldn't talk to each other because they spoke different languages but they were showing each other the music from their country and they were dancing and it, it, yeah it was a great atmosphere I think there's something really special and, and you know, we're we're speaking here today, we, we all have sport as part of our lives and very proud of it. Um, but whether it's sport, whether it's music, whether it's dance, you know, whether it's different culture, there's amazing ways that, that you can bring people together from any background in any country, in any culture, in any language and still connect and still unite. And I think that was a brilliant example of, sort of the combination of sport and music and dance just coming together and showing that at the heart of it human beings are so easily and well connected and there's so, so much more that unites us than separates us and it was a really it was just just a real moment of joy and uh just i don't know it was just incredibly uplifting so i loved it i'm glad you brought that up because um what we do at the homeless world cup um if our listeners don't know is we try to tackle forms of isolation like homelessness um 
and something that you said in the last interview stuck with me you said you think sport is something that can lead and guide society why do you think sport is effective and important in tackling society's issues yeah and i think you know i think it's it's almost even more timely um now that we're talking in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic in that you know i think in in certain in the uk it's you know the one thing we are allowed to do other than essential trips to other work or or for shopping or for emergencies is you know to get out and do some form of exercise and i think i think that feeling of whether it's just fitness or activity or movement is good not just for the physical benefits but also for the mental benefits and and especially when you're talking about sport beyond just sort of exercise and fitness but when you're talking about sport in that team sports coming together or sort of competitions coming together there's something that's very inclusive and although competition might be the heart of it there's still something about bringing people together bringing people together in a common goal bringing people together to you know achieve something that they couldn't probably or possibly on their own and you know there is all different forms of sports and types of sports and levels of sports there's something available to everyone and anyone and certainly all of the people I know who've got involved in sport at any age or any level of ability have all talked about the benefits they've got sort of far exceeding what they had expected you know a lot of people I know go back into sport possibly an older age because they you know they feel they should get fit or they should go out and try something new and actually they get just you know overwhelmed by by the sense of community they find and and in you know people who are maybe not confident or people who maybe you know don't feel they have a a you know, a confident role within life or within their own life or wider society, find through sport, they have a place and they have, you know, they, they often find more about themselves and, and what they can do. And it brings confidence and it brings community and as well as the sort of, you know, seeing the, the mental and the physical benefits as well. So I think that sport is accessible and should be accessible to everyone who wants it. And I think it shouldn't be seen as you know, only for a certain few of a certain type or a certain background, there really should be sport for all in every sense, because the benefits are, you know, are endless, really, there really is something that you can, you can gain from it. And a lot of people get surprised. And, you know, I know people who perhaps did a lot at school, but maybe have, you know, haven't done it since then, because it's not part of their daily life in a, an organised fashion. And, and therefore, it's quite intimidating to start again, you sort of feel I don't really belong there. It's not really my thing. I don't know if I've got the right kit. I don't know know what I'll do or how I'll be or you know people will laugh at me and and if you can get over those often more perceived barriers than real you know it's often in, in our own minds about you know why we wouldn't be good or why we don't fit in if you can get past that and and give something a go and, and not worry about how you will be or how you will look or what people might think then it's amazing what benefits you can find through that. Uh, so Catherine you became chair of UK Sport in 2017 and UK Sport holds inclusivity and equality as some of its core issues um, how is that put into practice? Yeah I mean UK Sport um, works with all the Olympic and Paralympic sports so it's the high performance sort of um, arm of, of British sport uh, but what so what you want is we're wanting obviously to support the best teams we can going forward to be teams GB, Paralympic GB come from the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And now to get the best teams that you can, you want as many people as possible coming in. You know, if you think of it as a sort of pyramid, as a classic thing of 
the, the sort of top international teams sitting at the top of that pyramid. You actually want that pyramid base to be as wide as possible. You want as many people coming in to to give sport a go to see who could then you know make it into the big teams. So you want you know you want sport to be accessible. You want sport to the, the more you try and limit it to a very small minority of people, the the less strong your teams are going to be. It's you know, it's just common sense. It's like every business right now that's operating of, you know, whether it's talking about diversity or inclusion or, you know, it's the more the more people with more experience, more ways of thinking, more ways of developing, the more abilities um, and skills that come in, the better your teams will be when it comes to the, the sort of highest performance. So, you know, there really is a big push for, um, just, there's a lot of different sort of talent ID things that go around that, that sort of travel around the country, gathering together, especially young people who, have almost sort of some raw talent some a lot of it just comes from you know a real you know willingness to to take part and uh you know there's a few sort of physical challenges that are put in that anyone can come and have a go at to see how good you are and sometimes it's not necessarily having a trained skill for a particular sport it's it's having that sort of willpower and that ability to push yourself through through uncomfortable sort of physical challenges that that actually showcase the people that can become great athletes so there's there's a kind of mental mental aspect you're looking for as much as the physical aspect but there's there's a big sort of because what you don't want is just the people coming through traditional routes whether it's i don't know university sport or um you know particular schools that that can put a lot more money into sport or particular clubs that perhaps not everyone can access what you want is that anyone sitting at home or sitting at any school or sitting at any level or any club who feels they could have the potential to to have a go and see if they can do it so there's a lot of very proactive sort of reach in through the communities to see you know where the talent might lie and uh, UK Sport also mentions taking positive action to eliminate institutional discrimination. Now, I think now is a is a time where uh, racism and football and things like that have been talked about more than ever. But what does taking positive action to eliminate this sort of discrimination look like, especially in the context of UK Sport? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Some of the bigger professional sports have had much higher sort of profile challenges in those areas. But I think anyone involved in sport just just sees that instantly as it's it's just unacceptable behaviour that happens within any sector, never mind sport. But if you work in that in that sector in sport, I'm very proud of working in sport, and everyone I know is very proud of working in sport, and everyone wants it to be, you know, as as healthy and positive and uh, and all embracing as it can be. So, you know, we have we have an integrity unit set up to make sure that any any sort of bad behaviour, any any athlete especially or any member of staff who experiences what they think is unacceptable behavior um can report it so it can be you know anonymous there's whistleblowing sort of channels now put in place there's there's places you can phone there's people you can turn to um to report it so many different reporting channels that that anyone could reach out to and do um and then if every sort of example is is then looked into and and handled in its own you know, as a sort of bespoke service so everything will be handled in the way it needs to be handled um and then addressed accordingly and and you know with uk sport especially with the the sports that we fund then the, you know the simplest thing is in, it's in all the agreements all the funding agreements that every sport that takes money from uk sport you know it's it's, it's ultimately it's public money this comes it's, we're an arm government body so it is public money that we are very accountable for um so we also have the right things in place that you know any anybody signing up to accept money has to 
meet a certain standards. And if they don't, then then obviously that money can be withdrawn again. So, you know, the last thing any of us want to do is is take money away from sport, especially because that often means you're you're taking money away from the the most important and most vulnerable people, which are the athletes. But but there's certain things that will be, you know, there's there's different levers that can be pulled if any of the sports have any behaviour happening within them that is unacceptable. And Catherine, how about the media? What role do you think the media plays in promoting um, equality in sports? I think the media is absolutely crucial. I think the media, um, you know, we, we we all go through different phases of, of reading the media and loving them and hating them for different amounts. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, we're very lucky again. We're, we're in a country where we have, we do have effectively a free press and, and they should. They have an important role to, you know, to check and challenge any of us in, in you know, positions of any kind of authority and and I think within sport they they rightly take their role of um I suppose yeah keeping the checks and balances of of powers and authorities right but also you know very much uh they can use things as role models as well so they should be and they often do do you know doing the great positive stories and it's often sometimes hard to find positive stories within the media and or it can feel that way but some brilliant stories that they do advocate uh, when when sort of really best practice is being used by any of the sports or any of the individuals within sports. And so we've got some absolutely exceptional role models um, with for all different aspects of diversity that within sport that you know should their stories should be told and their names should be known and and great examples of other people coming through. Um, at the same time, if there are stories that that people have not met the standards expected within sport, then the media also have. An amazing responsibility to to sort of publicly tell those stories as well so i think you know when you're in any organization and and you know since the day when i came into uk sport there's you know the media has told brilliant stories around the olympics and paralympics and also you know had huge breaking headlines when things have not been as good as they should have been within sport and actually you know as in my position as chair and, and all my board members who who you know i work very closely with they would all want the media to to have that role to be able to expose things that we need to address and and often the media you know are sort of have such great relations with people throughout our organization throughout sport generally that they often you know find stories first and expose things very quickly and, and then it's up to the rest of us to make sure that you know the right the right things happen as a result of those stories being exposed so i think whether it's you know whatever bad things might be happening within any sector I think you should want those things to be exposed you should never want them to disappear or not be found you want them exposed and brought to light so that they can be addressed very directly and I think the media have a really important role to make sure like I said the the bad things are exposed and the good things are celebrated I think we would all very much agree with that uh, and I know you've only got till ten thirty, so I'll squeeze in a last question here and trying to wrap this up uh, so with all the uncertainty now what is the best case scenario with everyone getting back on track with UK sport what are the challenges that are you're going to have to face with returning to normality or what we used to think was normal I know I think that's the thing we don't really know what normal is anymore or what we should return to or aim to return to yeah. you know I think like a lot of people, I think, I hope we will in some way be, society will be changed for the better because of the sort of extreme experience we're all living through. Um, but yeah, so for UK sports specifically, I think you know, there's, a, there's a couple of things. One is um, the biggest challenges we face at the moment are financial. So like I said, we, we receive our money um, as a mixture between directly from the government, as the exchequer funding, and partly from the National Lottery. As one of the good causes. Um, now, national lottery sales 
unexpectedly um, are down at the moment. Um, you know, even partly the physical challenge of people not being able to get out as often to the shops and and actually being able to buy things. You know, everything's moved to online, but even so, you know, people are habitual creatures in the long way. So, so sales are down a bit, and also the the money we get from the government effectively. The award is for four years and our four year cycle runs out at the end of March 2021. And obviously the Olympics and Paralympics have moved to July, August um, 2021. So we now have this period of time between March and July where we have no money and um, we need to tell all the sports we work with. We need to give them some sense of reassurance that they can still plan for the next summer games. Um, and they will have support and financial support to see it through. In the moment, we can't give them that guarantee. So we are doing a big piece of work, you know, with the government who are being very supportive. But clearly, you know, the government right now are, are dealing with a lot more things than sports yeah. and making sure that all the frontline workers have got all the support they need. And we're incredibly respectful of that, as everyone should be. And, you know, we, we accept everything will take a backseat until we're sort of through the worst of this crisis. Um, but at, at some point, we still need to reassure high performance sport that it can continue through to the games next year. And then the other side is the actual day to day event of sport is kind of ground to a standstill. People can't compete. People can't train in the same way. So I guess the, the planning at the moment is as and when lockdown starts to relax and it will be obviously a staged process, as we all know, it will be looking at at what point and what sort of standards need to be met for athletes to start considering training probably individually first and then as potentially as a, as small groups and then then from there moving on to competition um and what that might look like and if it will be behind closed doors and so there's a lot of i mean it's a very long-term planning process but you want those plans to be as much as possible ready to go as and when medically then things are, are sort of allowed to to start moving forward so you know it is it's it's very new challenges for everyone so there's a lot of planning a lot of discussion about how it could be done but the bottom line of all of this is that pe people need to be safe and need to feel safe and supported and, and I think if if we get that right then when the day comes when sport you know can have its role again I think it, it will be you know a spectacular moment and, and if you think to next summer if if the world you know moves to a place where we can travel again and and we can be back in you know close proximity to each other and compete and support and and celebrate together then then you know the any of the big sporting events next year could take on a whole different emotional level of of a celebration of of sort of humankind overcoming something like this so i think sport will have an amazing role when 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 we're all ready for it when it's safe and when it's right um then i think sport will will truly be a, a real force of celebration and community sort of coming together and being united again and i think that will be wonderful to see but but we all know we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We know we know we want to make sure we're all fit, and healthy, and safe before we move on to that. Absolutely, safety is paramount. But it will be interesting to see the landscape after this is all done and dusted to see how it's changed. Catherine, thanks very much again for joining us. And unless I put my uh, my, my laptop in the microwave, I think we'll have this interview <laughs> uh, confirmed. So, thank you again. Thank you very much, Catherine. Pleasure. Love to speak to you both. Thanks for listening. Uh, just a reminder to watch our social media streams because we have a lot of exciting stuff planned for the next few weeks, including Homeless World Cup Day on July 5th. I can't give too much away, but if you're itching for some sport content, we may have something for you. On the day, you'll be able to access compelling stories from around the world and join in on some fun challenges. All you need to do is join our virtual stadium by going to homelessworldcup.org and filling in the sign-up form. It's free. 
We need your help to have a greater impact around the world, and you can do this by signing up and donating if you feel like it. You can go to homelessworldcup.org forward slash donations. Or search for Homeless World Cup Foundation in Just Giving. Email us at podcast at homelessworldcup.org with things you'd like to hear discussed or get in touch with us on social media. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or give us a share online. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeless World Cup Foundation, presented by Paul Highland, Adam Wilson and Mariana Mercado. Produced by Adam Wilson and Paul Highland.